Good morning. There's no need to adjust your television sets. No, I, I, my voice is a little bit different um, today. I'm aware. Um, I just need to hold a microphone closer. Um, but uh, we're celebrating. Uh, my, my voice is gone because uh, there was a, a celebration of my son's wedding. Uh, yesterday, my son Isaiah married his high school sweetheart, Caitlin. So uh, we're we're really excited for them. It was a beautiful wedding and a loud reception. So a lot of people to talk there, and I used up all my words. <laughs> okay, I used up my voice. I have plenty of words. Um, there's going to be no no shortage. So welcome everybody who's joining us. Uh, online in the uh, in the live stream, and um, I can like I'm I'm just trying I'm get I've been preserving it this morning. I'll get warmed up. Welcome and welcome everybody who's in the room here this morning. So glad to uh, uh, to to be looking into God's word with you. To be looking into each other's faces with you. One of the things that we've learned in this series is the uh, the the part of our brain that manages. Our character are the really the roots of who we are, and we know that those can be adjusted. Uh, it's hard to get to those roots, though, and one of the ways that we get to those roots is by being in community with people who are happy to see us, uh, with uh, people where there is joy and there's connectedness. So, yeah, as I said, there's. Uh, I, I use the phrase hooting and hollering, and I, I try to not use phrases that I uh, don't have some explanation for. So as I was uh, getting ready for this morning and thinking, how am I going to explain why my voice is gone? Well, hooting and hollering, I thought, but, but what does that mean? Like, what, what do you think of when you hear the word hoot? And, okay, so for me, it was owl. Um, okay, so... So there, just somebody has made a, a, a very um, a, a sensible explanation of a crowd cheering, hooting sound. But for me, it's owls, and I, I think about an owl. Uh, if you, how many of you have actually been out uh, at night and heard an owl hoot? Okay, good. We're in Wisconsin. We have that opportunity. It's eerie, right? It's. Um, and I picture, yeah, okay, so somebody's doing I can't. I don't have that register available right now. Um, but I picture the owl's eyes, and uh, uh, they always look a little bit angry. And, and, uh, and, and you know that they have talons that are ready to crush the bones of a mouse, uh, a beak that's ready to tear into the flesh, and they have those eyes that stare through your soul, so when I think about a lot of hooting, I think I'm terrified by one hoot. A lot of hooting is a nightmare. It's like, uh, and what about hollering? Uh, I, for me, hollering takes me right to Walmart. Because um, to me, hollering is what you do to kids, right? And uh, so I, I, when you go... Uh, Hey, like that's, but of course louder. I can't do it right. Hey, get over here, right? That's hollering. A lot of hooting and hollering. 
like there is that's new material for your nightmares your 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 welcome um all i'm saying is that's why i don't have a voice this morning so thank you for taking that cultural journey with me through hooten and hollering i actually was trying to uh see if i could kind of get people uh laughing a little bit um this morning uh, I'm, I'm i was testing my my comedy chops and um uh i had more material that i um maybe that's what comedy chops means because i cut the i cut the rest of the material off um because you weren't laughing enough uh but but it's my fault um why would i do that um uh i'm experimenting with different income streams for the for the church and thought maybe stand-up comedy but we're gonna keep looking we'll keep looking if I were to practice my comedy chops and get people to um, uh, to really have a good time uh, laughing about life, maybe we could draw more of a crowd here. Um, that's a, you know that, that's another thing that might happen. Another thing that I could do to draw more of of a crowd, I could go a, a different direction, and rather than making people laugh more, I could get people angry more. Um, I could. Uh, uh, I, I could be the kind of leader who helps uh, convince people that they're in the right and be very clear about who those other people are who are, are in the wrong, uh, especially naming and pointing out evils outside of the church. I could get heads nodding and I could get compliments like, I like my pastor. He's not afraid to tell the truth. This series that we're in, though, it's an admission that the world is always changing. It's always going to run contrary to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is going to be different. It's going to look different from the world. Jesus is coming back again someday to judge the world. And in the meantime, he's building a church to continue the mission of saving the world through him. And if I teach in a way that encourages people to feel morally superior to the world outside of the church, some people in our community might gravitate towards that. That might feel good to be a part of something like that. We, we like things to be clear-cut and simple, like, Doing A is good, doing B is bad. And, and people are drawn to that kind of clarity, that kind of simplicity. It could draw a crowd. My concern is that I've read the Gospels. And religious leaders accuse Jesus over and over again of breaking the rules, falling uh, out of the, the patterns, failing to call out other people on their rule breaking. He was the friend of prostitutes, tax collectors, disreputable sinners. He navigated in a sinful world without ever sinning himself. And I imagine the Pharisees and other religious leaders preaching about 
the immorality of Rome and the horrible dishonesty and the treacheries of those who collected taxes for the Roman government. And I bet they got a lot of people nodding their heads and saying amen. And if they could just purge their nation, ancient Israel, if they could just purge their nation of sexual immorality, then they would experience God's favor again. And they'd get crowds together to stone immoral people to death. I'm afraid that if I rallied religious people to to judge a world that doesn't know Jesus, I would be undercutting his purpose for us, which is to make him known. That's my agenda, to introduce people to the real Jesus so they'll know him, they'll love him, and introduce him to others. God loved the world so much. He sent his son. Let's not keep that a secret. And yes, the apostles warned the early gatherings of disciples to guard against worldly influence. The church, the gathered disciples of Jesus, should look and operate in a way that is different from the world. And there were also, though, threats that would rise up within the church itself, within those gatherings. And the best way to guard against those internal threats for us is to work together to develop the character of Christ within the church. Jesus himself navigated a sinful world without becoming polluted, and he didn't let religious wolves undermine him. While it's sometimes tempting to ignore our own sins and rally around condemning the sins of others, there's no excuse for good ministry to be accomplished with bad character, especially a lack of love. So Paul gave a warning to the leaders who he helped appoint in Ephesus. And we're going to look at that, the warning that he gave in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30. So if you, if you imagine him, he's spent a couple of years with these folks, and he's, um, he's talking to the leaders, the gathered leaders in the church, last words before he leaves. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock his church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Wolves would arise from that group right there. And what would their goal be? The goal of someone who uh, acts more like a wolf than a shepherd? Paul says, to draw a following. We've been learning about having the character of Christ and how God can even use healthy shame to help someone see the gap between how they are acting and who God created them 
to be. And when someone doesn't know how to process shame and insecurity, one way to deal with it is to gain power and influence, to, to cover over the lack that they perceive in their life by getting others to approve of them. Jesus gave a similar warning about uh, people having the wrong motivations and causing damage. In Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15, he says, to his own group of leaders, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. Kind of makes you wonder, why did, why did Aaron talk so much about owls this morning, not wolves? I don't know, I just thought of that. Um, it, actually, it kind of makes you wonder, how are we going to recognize these wolves? Jesus tells us, verse 16, you can identify them by their fruit. Okay. You're going to, they're wolves, and you're going to recognize them by fruit. Like, Jesus isn't afraid of mixing metaphors, right? Uh, he'll, he'll take you on a journey that bounces around a little bit. You'll identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. In ministry, uh, we'll have people who get a lot of good things done. If you've been around church life for a while, um, you've seen people who uh, get so much done. They, they seem to be everywhere all the time, and, uh, and, and you start to think, where would we be uh, if, without them? Like, uh, they, they become somewhat indispensable. And sometimes in those situations, um, I'm, not ta- I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about this church, but maybe you've been in a different church where you've seen somebody who gets a lot of stuff done and is also very prickly to others at times. And sometimes maybe even offends people by their... Uh, prickly personality, or, or, or maybe a little bit of rudeness, or, or maybe they let a little bit of gossip seep into things. But you know what? They get so much done that we make excuses and we, uh, we, we cover over those things. And uh, when somebody says, well, why, why, did, why did that family leave the church? Well, there was a conflict with this, with this person. Well, should we do something about that person? Well, but if that person gets mad and leaves, then who's going to do all the stuff they're doing? So we make excuses for people because we see good ministry, 
we don't realize we may be welcoming a wolf into the flock. We say, oh, that person's just a bull in a china shop, but maybe they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. So wolves in disguise, and we recognize them because they're fruit trees. That's, that's where we are with, with Jesus right now. And then Paul, uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he gave some advice to the church in Galatia that I think is helpful at, at this point. Um, he just got done telling these gathered disciples that the religious people who keep telling them that they need to obey the Old Testament law, particularly you need to be circumcised. You, you cannot be saved unless you're also circumcised. And Paul is saying, wrong. No, the Old Testament law is fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. There is freedom from having to justify yourselves before God by observing those laws. In, in Galatians 5.13, he says, uh, for you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, Watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Biting and devouring? What does that sound like? Trees. <laughs> Wolves. <laughs> so even if our church is growing, you will ultimately destroy each other, Paul says to them. If you lose sight of serving one another, in love. There's no excuse for good ministry to be accomplished with bad character, especially lack of love. And then Paul ex explains that there's a tension between the appetites in us, what he called the sin nature, and the lead of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's a tension. There's a battle going on. If we think in terms of the, the, the patterns in our brain, uh, as we read this next passage, let's remember that there are pathways that people follow in order to avoid pain, like shame. Like instead of processing shame as a pathway, as a way to get to greater joy and connectedness like we learned about last week, shame comes and we have patterns where we avoid, we run away, we cover over, and pursue pleasure. Let's think about that as we look at what Paul teaches under the influence of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.19. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. So the first category that Paul addresses is sexual sin. There's a lot of young people, a lot of kids in here right now, and I, I don't know about you parents who are sitting at tables, but at this point, 
if I were you, I'd like tense up a little bit and be like, okay, what kind of conversations are I going to be ready for when we get home? Heads up would have been nice. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Um, then he addressed religious sin. Paul continues. He says, idolatry, sorcery. These are things that we don't talk about a lot as, uh, as sins unless you get around somebody uh, who thinks that, um, you know, reading Harry Potter is sorcery or, you know, I mean, they'll look at different things in the world and say, uh, and, and I only chuckle about that because honestly, I got Harry Potter on my shelf. And, and if you're convicted about that being sin, then we can have a discussion about that and, 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 and we, can, we can talk about it. But these, these things, idolatry and sorcery, they don't come up a lot in our particular culture. Then he addresses relational sin, okay? So he's gone sexual sin, religious sin, relational sin, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. Remember, we're thinking in terms of pathways in our brain, the way that our brains have been trained to respond to the world, and he's listed all of these relational sins that our brains go to. And then he mentions a couple of sins of overindulgence that were often associated with idol worship at the time. Drunkenness, wild parties, hooting and hollering. Um, I did hear a story on my way here this morning uh, my uh, my daughter goes to school in in Waukesha. Has uh, her roommate, her freshman and sophomore year, was was here over the weekend to be part of the wedding celebration. She grew up in Illinois, and um, uh, okay. So I, and and I also need to give this disclaimer. I wasn't in charge of the the, the reception. Okay, I'm not not going to take responsibility for this. Um, but her roommate from Illinois said, "I don't think I've ever seen drinking like that." And my daughter's response was, well, this is Wisconsin. I mean, like, uh, we, we know, like, I don't, I don't think anybody who was there who, like, grew up in Wisconsin was going, I am so shocked. It just was a, it was a wedding reception, that's all. Uh, but someone from outside of this culture um, just in case you didn't know, we have a problem. Um, uh, we have we have a problem. Uh, Wisconsin is the drunkest state in the United States, and Marathon County is the drunkest county in Wisconsin. That's not something we want to be proud of. Um, in terms of pathways that our brains go to to avoid pain and to seek pleasure, Paul is saying. Like, overindulgence, don't make that who you are. And then for good measure, he adds, and other sins like these. Uh, just whatever, whatever God puts in your heart and goes, and that one too. Nobody gets a pass. And then he finishes with this warning. Let me tell you again, as I've done before, that Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Strong, strong words. Now, 
I've been around religious people who have this vibe like, oh, man, okay, so first of all, I even stopped what I was going to start saying there because I've, I've been around religious people. I have been a religious person who has this vibe like, uh, I'm in a monogamous heterosexual relationship. I... Uh, my example here was I don't read Harry Potter, but I already told you that I, I that doesn't work for me. But you can be around religious people who are like I'm in a uh, I'm in a monogamous heterosexual relationship. I, I I don't read Harry Potter. I don't play Pokemon Go, which is catching demons, and uh, I don't play Dungeons and Dragons, which is obviously satanic. I practicing sorcery, whatever. I don't drink alcohol and none of my parties are wild and can just make this list of all these things that I don't do, so I'm good. Since I'm free from sin, then it's obviously my job to point out other people's sins to help them get as free as I am. However, the biggest section of Paul's warning here that rigidly religious people seem to gloss over is about relational sin. So let's break that section down a little bit. Hostility, the number one that he mentions in relational sin. This is that feeling of tension and rivalry, rivalry, that adherence to different ideologies or political parties often feel. And when we let ourselves become comfortable with hostility in our hearts, it makes its way into the church. Hostility is not from God. Wolf fruit is what that is. Quarreling. People ask Michelle and I if we ever fight. Sorry, I just, like, I heard a comment from the back. I'm not going to call anybody out. Ask Michelle and I if we ever fight. We disagree. We argue. We don't fight. Because when a disagreement turns into a fight, it has become less about the actual subject of the disagreement and more about winning having power over someone, being right. When someone makes quarreling a major component of their maybe online presence, let's say, they're being a confusing witness. When someone's goal in the church is to win arguments, they are biting and devouring. Watch out for quarreling. Don't let it be the pattern you live in. Jealousy. This is when we wish that we had what someone else has. Early in my ministry, I had a friend who started a church in downtown Milwaukee near the university, and it grew faster than the church that I had started in rural central Wisconsin. Um. And, uh, and I, I got his newsletters, and, um, and I started to feel this 
feeling, this jealousy. And it was awkward. I felt like I had to, though, like it was the right thing to do. I contacted him and said, man, I love what I see going on in your church. I also have to confess to you that I have this feeling of jealousy. And I just want to, I want to put it out there because uh, I don't want it to keep going. So uh, it's silly. We're on the same team. I love you guys. I'm excited for you. Keep it up. Comparison kills contentment. That's something my friend Lynette taught me. And it often leads us to bad-mouthing other people, other ministries, instead of processing our own difficult feelings in a healthy way. Next thing Paul lists is outbursts of anger. Please, let's not make excuses for each other on this one especially in a church where our biggest challenge at New Day, I'm talking about here, us, our biggest challenge, one of our biggest challenges anyway, is to feel safe enough to speak the truth to each other in love. We're a church that is too nice to each other for the most part. Someone who has an outburst of anger makes it so much more difficult for someone who's nervous about saying a difficult truth because they're afraid that they're going to get their head bit off. Outbursts of anger destroy trust. By the way, sometimes people wonder, they're like, can, can Aaron hear? Yes, I can. Uh, and... And, and we're just always going to celebrate that we've got so many different ages of people in here, and we love it. Um, we're teaching them to not bite and devour. I saw, I saw some parents get up and go over there, and they're, they're going to be like, hey, quit biting. Temper out of control, though, outbursts of anger, it, it's a sign of a wolf in our midst. Selfish ambition. When someone comes into a church asking, and, and they're new to the church, like, what do I have to do to be in leadership here? That's a wolf alert. <laughs> That's someone who I keep at, at, at arm's length because I'm concerned that somebody's coming in in sheep's clothing. Uh, dissension. That's a word that literally means standing apart. I remember early in the life of this church uh, trying to build some unity and momentum by, by doing like a, they call it a church-wide campaign where all the messages connect to all the small group questions and all the small groups are doing the same material. So they kind of, everybody's on the same page. And I explained the reasoning for it all and was all excited about why we were doing that. And and then one small group uh, leader came to me and said, um, I talked to my group and we're not doing that. That was a wolfy move. Uh, like dissension is just standing apart. And sometimes people do that as a power move to say, you can't tell me what to do. Now, that's very different from some of the attitudes that we've been learning about how the church should operate together, how we should submit to 
one another in love, how we should think of others as more important than ourselves. Dissension fails in those areas. Division is the next thing Paul mentions. Now, differences are inevitable. Um, yesterday, when this dance was going on, um, the song Cotton Eye Joe came on. And when I, folks, when I dance to Cotton Eye Joe, it is an aerobic exercise. Um, I mean, I get down. However, as I was on the edge of the dance floor, there was a group of people who started doing the line dance version of it. And I thought, I am not welcome here. And sure enough, the line dance version of it caught on and the whole floor, my, my son married, a, she's, she's a dance instructor. So there was dancing. As the whole floor becomes this grid of, uh, 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 of choreography. I said to my sister, who was sitting next to me, I said this, um, I am not gifted in line dancing. Uh, like really, I can't, you give me uh, it, songs that give you instructions like to the left, to the left, and I'm like, I can't. I, my body's gonna do what it's gonna do. I said, I'm just not gifted in the line dance situation. And she put her, put her hand on my shoulder and, and she said, um, it's a body made of many diverse parts. <laughs> and like, it's okay that your giftedness, your, your giftedness is useful in other areas. Um, the church is made up of unique people from a variety of experiences. We don't all have to be line dancers. There's going to be a place for the, for the person to get down and, and a time for them to step aside. That's okay. The church is made up of unique people. It's beautiful. While differences are inevitable, division is a choice. Division is when we shift from disliking another person's preferences or choices to disliking that person. Wolves look for reasons to dislike and to divide people. And then Paul says envy. Sometimes we use this word synonymously with jealousy. What's the difference? Envy, jealousy. Jealousy is uh, wanting what someone else has. What Paul's describing here is wishing someone didn't have something. It's actually feeling disappointed when someone does well. When you're feeling that way, it's time to get to the root of that fruit before it gets any worse. I told you last week that we'd get a clearer idea of how to recognize a wolf among us I hope that helps. Maybe you recognize some wolfy tendencies in yourself. That's good. That means that you have the capacity to be self-aware. I'm more concerned about people who recognize 
these tendencies, but instead of recognizing that they're sinful tendencies, they just justify them. Have we really yielded our character to God? The way we act when no one is looking or the attitudes that we hide behind seemingly righteous actions or the reactions that we have before our conscious thoughts even catch up. Those deepest parts of who we are, have we yielded that to God? Jesus said that we can also tell a good tree by its good fruit. And here's how Paul described what it looks like when someone has turned away from their sinful appetites and yielded to the lead of the Holy Spirit. Here's what that looks like. Galatians 5, through 23, we're just continuing after what Paul listed about the fruit of the sinful nature. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. I love it. It's like, it's like you're saying, you can have as much, much of this fruit as you want. Go ahead. Zero calories. Love is the first fruit that he mentions. A, a good test for wolfie, or we could, as we looked at them last week, we could call these narcissistic patterns in our church would be to teach more often about loving our enemies. This would be a good test, to teach more often about loving our enemies because say to a person with these patterns, love God, and they'll say, I sure do. Say to them, love your neighbor, and they'll say to justify themselves, ah, who's my neighbor? Say to them, love your enemy, and they'll say, You've gone too far. Yet this is the way of Jesus. We are a people who get our group identity from the character of Jesus. We're, we're taking off sexual immorality and putting on faithfulness. We're taking off overindulgence and we're putting on self-control. We're taking off outbursts of anger, and we're putting on gentleness. God has freed us from the need to selfishly satisfy our own desires, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to lead us in a new kind of life, the kind that's going to last forever. So when we do a good job cultivating joy and connectedness and we have a clear group identity, that person who enters in here who has those wolfy patterns, they'll either experience a healthy shame that becomes a pathway to greater joy and connection or they'll eventually move on. We could try to appease them. We could try to get them to stick around. We could also appeal 
to people's hostility against the world to draw a bigger crowd. The thing is, God loved the world so much, he gave his son so that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have everlasting life. Our mission is to be his witnesses and to make disciples, not Pharisees, not wolves. There is no excuse for good ministry to be accomplished with bad character, especially a lack of love. So let's take a minute right now and practice our rad pattern, reflection, application, and discussion right now. Take a few minutes to reflect. Um, think about not just what I said. Think about what you thought. Uh, what did God put in your mind? What is he teaching you today? Especially a light that he may be shining in an area that he wants to work on in your life. What is he teaching you and what are you willing to do in response? So we're gonna have a few minutes to reflect and for you to answer those questions. And I, I challenge you, I encourage you, I hope that you come out of that time with a statement that begins with the two words, I will. Something that doesn't have to be a major thing even. Something he puts on your heart, though, that you wouldn't have done otherwise. This week, though, this is something you're willing to do in response to him. So we'll take those few minutes to reflect. I'll see if I can get any of my voice back. And we'll reconnect for some discussion.
just in case you missed it, there's a, um, you know, what in my opinion was an excellent article about swearing uh, that you can see on our Facebook page. Um, did anybody read the New Day Minute this week? About Yeah, all right, all right. So, yeah, we do have a weekly email newsletter, and um, uh, it's, it's, I, I thought it was a pretty fun article. Um, so my I will statement uh, is uh, actually an I will not. I will not pursue a career in stand-up comedy. I appreciate you guys making that very clear to me this morning that uh, I can just check that off the list of alternative funding pathways. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to close our, our time together in in prayer. Uh, actually I'm m- moving us towards our time of uh, of discussion. So let's uh, let's pray together. Uh, God th- there are <laughs> there are challenging things for all of us. Uh, in in the character of Christ, uh, none of us lives up to it. We thank you, though, that you accept us, that you love us right where we are, that you don't wait for us to become perfected. You, you even say to us that uh, if, if we come to you as if we are, you're going to resist us, that you oppose the proud. So God, humbly, we come to you knowing uh, that there is work that needs to be done, and we cannot do it alone. We thank you, God, for Jesus Christ. Through him, our sins are forgiven as we put our faith in him. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who leads us into truth. We thank you for a community of believers who encourage us and help us along. And we pray, God, that we will not be the same people a year from now a week from now, tomorrow. We will yield to your transforming power and things are going to be different. Thank you, Lord. Amen.